Hey everybody, welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. My name is Nick and I'm here taking any questions, calls, comments, concerns, whatever have you on the Catholic faith. Um, feel free to call in on any topic. Uh, love talking with you guys. If you guys look in the podcast section or the episode section, if you are on your Anchor FM app, you will see that some past shows are up where we've had some great discussions with uh, callers of Catholic faith, of other faiths such as the Orthodox, uh, Protestants, non-denominational Christians. Um, so yeah, feel free to call in with any questions you got about the Catholic faith. Um, and you might notice that I'm sounding a little different right now, trying out a new microphone I have. So today I am not talking into my cellular telephone as usual. So I can already hear like the crystal clearness in my in my voice when I listen to my headphones. It's amazing, this, this little microphone. It's much more powerful than whatever Apple has in theirs. But, you know, that's to be expected. So you know, we'll, we'll experiment with this every now and then. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, I apologize for not being active lately on the Anchor FM station. It's been a crazy, uh, crazy week or so. Um, my grandmother um, unfortunately passed away, and we just buried her on uh, on Monday, yesterday. And this is this 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 episode, I guess, is uh, kind of coming on the heels of of that and many things that I experienced. You know, re- remembering my grandmother and. Uh, seeing other people reminisce about her and it and it, and it reminded me of a you know uh, of another segment we did not too long ago on you know Catholics and funerals and wasn't expecting to uh, go to another funeral so soon really wasn't but uh you know it, it happened and um I'd like to ask you all to please pray for uh for my grandmother too uh Sophie Sophie Claire um as well as my family during this time and it, it kind of leads me to ask a question today of you guys, and I, and I would love for you in turn to pose your own questions. Um, why should we pray for the dead? So it's a simple question, you know, simple a word, but it's, it's, it might be more complex to answer, especially with people that are Christian but don't have the... Uh, the apostolic base that Catholic and Orthodox Christians have um, in regards to their uh, commending the dead to God. Um, because Catholics, Orthodox, and of course many other Protestants uh, and other Christians uh, believe that salvation is something to be worked out. It's not something that is a one-time thing. So for those that believe that salvation is a one-time deal, it's hard for them to wrap their head around the idea of praying for the dead. Um, but what, what I'd like to do today is you know, give some, some scriptural evidence of why we do that, um, as well as what the early Christians did and how the practices of the early Christians um, don't really mirror what we see, well, especially in secular society today, who just pretty much canonizes anybody and says like oh that person's in heaven for sure and yeah they're an angel and 
it brings up a whole another you know can of worms and stuff because people don't turn into angels it's kind of stupid why would you want to be an angel when jesus became man you know that whole incarnation deal yeah it's it's i'd say it's pretty cool being a human when god condescends himself to become uh, a human person he didn't become an angel so no you know so it's like you know the secular world is like that and and then you have you know certain christians that um do not pray for the dead as uh, others do, such as Catholic Orthodox Christians. Um, and in, in addition to you know what we read in Scripture and what the early church said, you know, especially in the first few centuries, um, I, I want to read a little bit of a prayer, several prayers that were read during my grandmother's funeral and, and wake uh, in the past couple days. Um, and we're going to get into that in just a bit on the next segment. So stick around and again, feel free to call in to Ask Catholic Dude. So I've talked about on here how I kind of grew up with the best of both worlds as far as Catholicism goes, um, you know, my maternal grandmother, Sophie Claire, um, was baptized Ukrainian Catholic, and pretty much all my other side, all the other sides of my family were Latin Catholic, were Roman Catholic. So I got to experience the fullness of the Catholic faith. I got to breathe with both lungs of the Church, East and West, as uh, Pope Saint John Paul II puts it. Um, so I have two relatives that are. Um, priests in the Catholic Church, and they're both of the Ukrainian rite, um, or the Byzantine rite of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Uh, one of them is my uh, my my grandmother's um, nephew, and the other is his son. And his son, uh, Father Alex, was able to come out. He came out from uh, uh, from out east, and it was it was really great to see him. Um, he's a great guy young guy too you know he's only in his early 40s and he is just such a great witness for the faith and one of the things that my grandmother requested uh she was buried out of a uh out of her her uh, roman catholic parish uh that she attended quite a bit when she was living uh, in her old neighborhood and one of the things she requested was that the panahita be said for her uh the panahita is one of the uh, rites of the, the one of the funeral rites of the uh, Byzantine, uh, the Byzantine rite of the Catholic Church, and it is it's a beautiful synthesis of uh, it's a really great great uh, ritual where we see the awesome judgment of God and the resurrection to life eternal just you know juxtaposed uh, uh, upon each other and uh, the reality of judgment after death it, it urges us to uh, a confident prayer for the departed soul um, you know while the vision of immortality soothes our sorrow um, at the time of death because that's what that's what the early Christians pushed you know that we could become immortal that's what jesus told us you know jesus told us that you know we would be risen up like him and that's what all of the church fathers taught you know saint athanasius of alexandria wrote that god became human that human might become god that man might become god um not in the sense that you know we become 
you know, almighty, but we share ever more fully in his nature. That's what the, uh, that's what is referred to as divinization, um, is becoming, becoming perfect so that we can enter heaven. Uh, St. Irenaeus of Lyons, you know, living, you know, right in the, uh, uh, right towards the end of the, the, uh, in the second century. Um, because remember he was the disciple of St. Polycarp, who was in turn the disciple of St. John the Apostle. Um, so St. Irenaeus said this, he said that Jesus Christ would become the son of man for this purpose, that a human being also might become the son of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. And I just couldn't help thinking, you know, what a wonderful thing, you know, awaits my grandmother and, and awaits us too because this is the hope we have to live for. This is the, the hope of the resurrection. Um, and it's just, I'm, I'm so thankful. And it, it was really nice hearing this, this Panahita for the first time. And Father Alex just, he, he, he did it beautifully. Um, there was a little, little, what happened at the wake and then did a little more in church, uh, at the end of mass and then again at the uh at the graveside um and see in in the early days of christianity you know funeral services it was like an all-night deal i mean the prayer vigil went went from like you know nighttime until dawn you know until evening until dawn um you know the celebration of of the mass of the divine liturgy you know happening um with the burial of the deceased but now we only see like you know a much smaller segment of that now um and panahita it's spelled uh p-a-n-a-c-h-i-d-a panahita is literally translated from the greek as an all-night service um so we kind of get like a truncated version i guess nowadays um but it's still beautiful nonetheless and i'm going to read just a little bit from that to see to show you guys how the Catholics teach the Catholic Church's teaching on purgatory is beautifully interwoven in here without explicitly saying the word purgatory. So here are just a few of the prayers that are read at many Catholic as well as Orthodox Christian funerals um, around the world, even today. Um, and like I said, this this uh, this gives a reason why Christians not only do but why they ought to pray for the dead. Um, so here's from uh, this part of the prayers from the Litany of the Deceased. The priest says, Have mercy on us, O God. According to your great mercy, we pray you, hear us and have mercy. And the people say three times, Lord, have mercy. And the deacon continues, or the, or the priest continues, Let us pray for the repose of the soul of the departed servant of God, and that her every transgression committed deliberately or through human frailty be forgiven her. And we say, Lord, have mercy again. We also pray that the Lord God commit her soul to the place where the righteous repose. Lord, have mercy. For the mercy of God, for the kingdom of heaven, and for the remission of her sins, let us beseech Christ, the immortal King and our God. And we say, grant this, O Lord. And then the priest comes up. If he isn't, you know, already being assisted by a deacon, the priest says this, and I thought this was very beautiful. This was said several times throughout, uh, at the wake, at the church, and at the burial. He says, this prayer, this prayer, this beautiful prayer, O God of spirits and all flesh, 
who have trampled death and overthrown the devil and granted life to your world. Now, O Lord, grant rest to the soul of your departed servant in a place of light, a place of green pasture, a place of refreshment where all pain, sorrow, and sighing have fled away. As a good God who loves mankind, forgive every sin committed by her in word or deed or thought, for there is no man who lives and does not sin. For you alone are without sin. Your righteousness is everlasting. Righteousness in your word is truth. For you are the resurrection and the life and the repose of your departed servant. O Christ our God, and to you we send up glory with your eternal Father and your all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. And I, I think that, that it, it, it really is beautiful because it reminds us of the truths of our universe. Um, that there is only one perfect absolutely perfect man and that is jesus christ so all men sorrow all men sin and that's sorrowful it's that's that's sorrowful but we see here that the priest is praying along with the people we're interceding um on behalf of the person that died that every sin be blotted out every sin every sin be uh forgiven so that they can enjoy that eternal rest um and after this the priest reads this this beautiful prayer called the prayer of absolution um and i'm i'm going to i'm going to read this through here and see where this ties into the catholic doctrine the catholic teaching the apostolic christian teaching of purgatory and why it's really really good to remember the dead in our prayers the priest says O merciful and most gracious Lord Jesus Christ our God, you became man for our sake and took upon yourself the sins of the whole world. You entrusted the keys of the heavenly kingdom to Peter, the first among the apostles, and to your other apostles. By your grace you deign to grant them all power, that whatever they bind on earth be also bound in heaven, and whatever they lose on earth, or whatever they loose on earth be also loosed in heaven. Because of your love for mankind, which is beyond expression, you have made us through unworthy, though unworthy, Heirs to the power given to them so that we also exercise the same power to bind and to loose the transgressions of your people. Therefore, and this is still the priest talking, this isn't me talking, I don't plan to, I don't, I don't claim to have the, the power granted to uh, ordained priests. Um, but as the prayer continues, uh, the priest says, Therefore, by the power granted to your priests, we have pardoned and absolved your servant who has departed from us and has gone to you in the faith and in the hope of rising again and in sorrow for her sins, which before death she repented and confessed. We now believe that she is pardoned and absolved by you in heaven. However, if due to human frailty she has not yet satisfied your justice, we know that she is restrained for a time from reposing among the saints and from beholding the light of your countenance and your glory, delivering her body to the grave and prostrating our whole being before your majesty. We humbly beseech you, O ruler of life and death, who gives life and takes it away, who consigns to the abyss and raises from it. Hear now the prayer of us, your unworthy servants, for the sake of your holy suffering, your precious blood so unsparingly shed for us, your life-giving death, burial, and resurrection on the third day through which you have liberated us from the bondage of Satan. Forgive her completely and pardon all her sins committed deliberately or through human frailty by word, deed, or in thought, knowingly or unknowingly, as human beings are wont to do. 
forgive those sins which she has not confessed either through forgetfulness or because of their multitude. Absolve her from both the guilt and the punishment due to her sins, and give rest to her soul in a place of light, joy, and peace, where there is neither pain, sorrow, nor mourning. And after that, there's a little more where uh, the priest prays that um, prays that God may place his or her soul in the dwelling place with the righteous in the heavenly court until the general resurrection. Um, and they quote from the Gospels, uh, they quote what Jesus said, you know, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and he who comes to me I will not cast out. Um, and, the, and the prayer finishes, For you are the resurrection, the life, and the repose of those who truly believe in you and who present themselves before you, O Christ our God, in the hope of resurrection and eternal life. And we glorify you together with your eternal Father and your all-holy good and life-giving spirit now and ever and forever. Amen. And there's just so much to unpack in there but I was just I was in awe at the the thoroughness of the prayer that my cousin uh, Father Alex read for for my Busha for my grandmother Busha is what we we call her uh, as it's a, a Polish way of saying uh, grandmother um, and I, I was just like wow that that that's 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 great that she's being prayed for and um everybody here is praying for her so that she can get past that uh and whatever stain is still on here before she on her before she can really enter into that that full beatitude of heaven before she can be fully divinized as as we alluded to before like going off of what saint athanasius and saint irenaeus and some of the other uh early christian saints said um so it, it's just I was taken aback. I really was. And I was just like, this is great. This, like, I mean, she is going to be out of purgatory really fast, um, going to be able to be in heaven. And, you know, and, and for those that really aren't too familiar with what the church teaches on purgatory, I mean, it, it says it right there when, um, when, when the, when the priest prays, forgive him or her completely and pardon, you know, all his sins, all his or her sins and absolve him or her from, both the guilt and the punishment due to their sins. What exactly is the distinction between the guilt and the punishment? Um, here's an analogy. So, say you're playing, you know, you play baseball a lot, and you play, you know, kind of near some people's houses and stuff, and you just so happen to be, you know, uh, behind your friend's house, your friend's house, and, you know, his dad, you know, you know, you know your friend's dad pretty good, and he says, listen, don't play over here during such and such a time. You know, we don't want any baseballs coming through the window. You know, be careful. Watch where you're going. And, you know, you go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, your buddies are like, oh, right, let's go play. Well, he just said not to. He's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And you're up to bat. You hit a home run and you shatter the window. And, you know, the guy comes out. And he says, why, why, why did you do that? And then you feel bad. Like you feel really bad when you break that window, right? After you crack that homer, you felt good when you cracked the homer, but not when you cracked the window. So you apologize to the man. You apologize and say, I'm really sorry for what I did. I should have listened to you. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm sorry. And the man forgives you. He says, I, I, I forgive you, but you still have to pay the debt here. You have to pay to fix this broken window. 
So even though you've been forgiven, you have to do what's right. You have to make restitution for uh, the wrong that you committed. And, you know, it's it's not always as easy as saying you're sorry. Um, and it also shows in good faith that, you know what, well, I value our friendship. Um, you value the friendship with your, your, your friend's father or whoever this man is that lives across the street from you. So you gladly pay him back for the window because you know you did wrong. You know that you did. Um, and this analogy is what we see with, uh, with, with purgatory. Um, the thing is, we can either be purified here on this earth or sometimes there's so much that needs to be purified, so much that needs to be clean that it has to be finished in, in the afterlife. Um, and that's why we pray for the dead so that these sins, these th this effect of sin will be, uh, will be wiped clean because once you die, you can't pray for yourself anymore. You can't pray for yourself anymore. The, the, the souls in hell they have no hope. The souls in heaven have no need for prayers. But the souls that are waiting to get into heaven, those that have been saved, those that have, been died, that have died in God's friendship, they are still waiting. And they can benefit from our prayers here on earth as, long, as well as with the prayers of the saints uh, in the church triumphant in heaven. And th this has a, a very uh, you know deep scriptural basis. Um, you can see in the, uh, the first letter of uh, St. Paul to the Corinthians um, in chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about, um, beginning in verse 11, he talks about how there's no other foundation there's no other foundation that anyone can lay on uh, except that which is Jesus Christ. And he continues saying, uh, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's works will become manifest. For the day, that is the day of judgment, will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And here's the key verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So obviously he's he's not talking about, you know, the people in hell because no one is saved there. And it, he can't be talking about heaven because there's no suffering in heaven. How can you be tested by fire in heaven? There's no suffering there. Only a place of purification uh, where the final theosis, where the final divinization happens, what many Catholics call purgatory. That is the only place where uh, that can happen, where the, the, the guilt that we've built up is, is gone. Um, even C.S. Lewis, an Anglican, his entire life uh, believed in purgatory. Um, he, he once said in a book, uh, he was writing to a friend, he said, our souls demand purgatory, don't they? Would it not break the heart if God said to us, it is true, my son, that your breath smells and your rags drip with mud and slime, but we are charitable here, and no one will upbraid you with these things, nor draw away from you. Enter into the joy. Should we not reply with submission, sir? And if there is no objection, I'd rather be cleansed first. It may hurt, you know. Even so, sir, even so. And... That that is the beauty of of what what God you know wills for us. He takes away every human affection, every uh, roadblock within us, and cleanses it so that we can enter heaven with Him. Because remember what it says uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter twenty one, towards the end, um, 
they talk about uh, talk about getting into the into the gates of heaven that they'll never be shut by day. But verse 27 reminds us, nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean shall enter it. Well, if we still have debts, you know, on our soul, if we still have debts, things that need to be cleaned, um, then these human affections, you know, of pride and jealousy and lust and sloth that need to be purged. They need to be gone before we can get into heaven because nothing unclean can enter that. All those things are unclean. And so it's 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 a great thing to pray for those because we we can't judge. That's that this is where it's true. Don't judge. Because only judge can only God can judge where someone's eternal destination is. Um, and I have one last analogy I'd like to give. This will bring us full circle as to why we pray for the dead. Now that we know what, what, what purgatory is, what this final purification, this final theosis, this final divinization is. Um, and, and before I give that analogy, um, a great, great scripture reference um, that shows the necessity of praying for the dead and shows... The truth that is revealed in the doctrine of purgatory, um, and unfortunately, it is in a book that is often forgotten by many Protestant Christians. It's in the uh, the second book of Maccabees, uh, chapter twelve, verses uh, thirty-nine through forty-five, um, and that's because it's considered by some to be a part of the Deuterocanon or Apocrypha. Uh, which is, you know, really ridiculous, seeing as several of the deuterocanonical books, uh, such as um, the additions to, or I shouldn't say the additions, the original versions of Esther and Daniel, as well as uh, the Book of Syrac and the Book of Tobit, among others, were discovered in the 1940s in Hebrew among the Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, <laughs> and the whole reason that Martin Luther and Calvin and many others did not believe in their veracity that they were true inspired scripture was because they can only be found in the Septuagint. Uh, they could only be found in Greek. They thought that since it wasn't ever written in Hebrew, that eh, no, it was never, never really true scripture. Uh, so we see where they were wrong. And now that I'm gone off on another tangent, I apologize. Um, let, let's delve into this this verse in the uh, the second book of Maccabees, um, where the inspired author writes. Um, starting with verse 39. On the next day, as by that time it had become necessary, Judas Maccabeus and his men went to take up the bodies of the fallen and to bring them back to lie with their kinsmen in their sepulchres of their fathers. Then under the tunic of every one of the dead they found sacred tokens of the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. And it became clear to all that this was why these men had fallen. So they all blessed the ways of the Lord, the righteous judge, who reveals the things that are hidden. And they turned to prayer beseeching that the sin which had been committed might be wholly blotted out. And the noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He also took up a collection, man by man, to the amount of two thousand drachmas of silver, and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. 
but if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought, a wholesome thought. Therefore he made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sin. So right there, sacred scripture tells us it's a good and holy thing to pray for the dead. It's not foolish because we're praying for those who fall asleep in godliness, those who die in God's grace, but may still have some stain of sin on their soul. And since that stain makes them unclean, they're unable to enter heaven immediately. So through our prayers, through making atonement for the dead, and we do this during the sacrifice of the Mass, a divine liturgy for all Catholics and Orthodox Christians, we pray that they are delivered from their sins so they can enter heaven. Um, so it's a great thing to pray for the dead. And the way to look at it, here's the analogy. A simple analogy. So say that there's a mother and, you know, she's cleaning the dishes after dinner and, you know, her little three, four-year-old son walks in and he's like, I want to help with the dishes. I want to help with the dishes. And mom's like, oh, you know, she's thinking to herself, I can get this done a lot faster probably without you. I could probably get it done more perfectly without you. But, you know what, I love you. Why don't you come help me? And she gives her young child a dish to clean. And there's a stack of dishes in there. And she's cleaning them all pretty fast. But the child spends the entire time cleaning that one dish. And he does it imperfectly. But eventually he finishes it. He doesn't do it efficiently, but he finishes it. And he gives the dish to his mom and it's clean. In the same way, God allows us to help our brothers and sisters in Christ who will rise again. He helps, he allows us to help them. He allows us to help clean them to enter heaven. And how beautiful is that, that we can contribute to this? I am so thankful that we have a God so merciful and so loving that he would tell us, you're, you're all united in my body. You're all united in the one body of, of Christ. Pray for your brothers and sisters, whether they're living or dead. And it's uh, it's just a beautiful thought that, that, that God would allow us to partake in that cleansing. Um, and that's why I, I, I ask everybody to, you know, pray for my grandmother um, so that, you know, she may get there uh, as it as in expedited way as, as possible. Um, and it, it's just, you know, I, I hope you guys can uh, reflect on those things a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it's hard to cover all the bases. Um, there's there's much more scriptural support and many more things that, uh, you know, the early church fathers said. I mean, you, you can go back you know, all the way back to, uh, you know, the second century, um, you know, from Clement of Alexandria uh, to Origen, you know, the beginning of the third century, you know, he gave a great exposition of that uh, scripture passage from first uh, Corinthians chapter 3 um, you know talking about you know why would you enter into heaven with your wooden hay and stubble and thus defile the kingdom of God you know it's like it, it's it, you're you're committed to a fire for a short time to burn those light materials um, and you know it's 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 not there to destroy the creature himself it's there to consume the the transgressions of the wood and the hay and everything um, and then God gives us the reward for our, our great works and lets us into heaven. Um, so, I mean, it just just so many uh, so many things uh, throughout uh, Christianity, throughout throughout the years in Christianity, uh, point to this and why it's so important to uh, to pray for the dead. Um, you know, both both through sacred scripture and through uh, sacred tradition. Um, 
one last thing I just want to touch on real quick is um, there, there was a one final prayer at the grave site that uh, my cousin, uh, Father Alex, read. Um, and, and, it, and it was really great. It was a great image. He, he, he took some of the earth from the ground with, with a shovel and he, he put it on the, uh, on the casket before we were about to uh, you know, commit our, you know, my grandmother back to the earth. And, um, and he, he said, um, during that time, he said to the Lord, well, first he, he begins, you know, saying, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal God have mercy on us. And then he says to the Lord belongs the earth and its fullness, the world and all who dwell in it. O gaping earth, receive the body formed from you by the hand of God, again, returning you returning to you as to its mother. What has been made in his image, the creator has already reclaimed. O earth, receive this body of your own receive this body as your own and he dumps the the remaining incense in the censer uh onto onto the casket onto the earth and then with with holy water uh the priest prays this grave is being sealed until the second coming of christ in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen and blessed repose grant O lord eternal rest to the soul of your departed servant and may he or she May, may his or her memory be eternal. And we sing that so many times, eternal memory, blessed repose, and eternal memory. Because, um, you know, we, we, we hope we have that, that, that hope that we will see, or that confident hope that we will see her again in heaven, uh, in, in eternal life. And it's just a, a great thing uh, to think about when he sealed, he sealed the casket. It's like, it, it won't be opened again. It won't be opened again until the second coming when our bodies are reunited with our souls at the resurrection. It, it, it was just beautiful imagery, beautiful prayers. And, you know, it, and it, and it, it made me, uh, you know, pray for my grandmother and all my deceased loved ones even, even more. Um, because now... I can see through that funeral rite, through that panahita, I can see how the Christians since the earliest of days, since the apostolic days, since even before, even before Christianity with, with Judas Maccabeus, how praying for the dead is a holy and pious thing and something we need to do since, as I mentioned before, you know, we aren't God. We can't judge people's souls. That's up to God. We can't just say, oh, this person's in heaven or that person was really bad. He's going to hell. No, you, you can't say that. You don't know. And so we commend them to God and we pray. We pray for their for their salvation if they're in heaven. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, feel free to call in with any questions on the topic or anything else. And uh, we'll chat again soon. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to Ask a Catholic Dude on Anchor FM.